Hello, and thanks for tuning in to the King's House podcast. We are a non-denominational church located in McAllister, Oklahoma, reaching and serving those in our community and around the world. We believe that church is not something you go to, but it's a family you belong to. And a house is just a house until the family's there. Then that house becomes a home. So today, we want to say welcome home as we jump into today's service. Good morning, King's House. How are we doing this morning? Man, you guys are here and fired up, and God is so good, man. Thank you so much for being here today, guys, on our very first 9 o'clock service. Come on, let me hear it. So if this is your first time, we're just so honored and so blessed. We want to say a humongous Welcome home to you, and uh, I believe you're in for a real treat, because I think God is going to do something so special in this place this morning, King's House. Do you believe that today? We're kicking off a brand new three-part series today called Live Like You Were Dying, and the title of my message this morning is No Regrets, No Regrets, and uh, you all know, but, but before I moved to McAllister, uh, gosh, almost six years ago now, that's wild, uh, but I was a chaplain for a hospice for uh, just about four years. And uh, man, I want you to know, I learned more about life and more about ministry uh, in those four years of being a chaplain than I ever dreamt of learning uh, in Bible school, uh, for sure. It's one thing to like hear about how to do it. It's another thing to actually be in the, in the deep end of the pool. But uh, as a chaplain, I had numerous different kind of job responsibilities that I was trying to accomplish. Uh, first of all, is there any unresolved spiritual issues I mean, this person is, is dying, and they're going to meet Jesus probably sooner than later. So any spiritual issues that were unresolved, any family issues that were unresolved, anything on the bucket list that like, hey, we, let's go do this while we still got time. We did a lot of wild, crazy things for people. Um, but one of the main parts of my job was just to make sure that people were processing things in a healthy way, coping with their situation in a healthy way, uh, difficult times for families. I remember there was one particular individual, and this, this individual was one of the most chipper, one of the most upbeat, one of the most positive guys that you could ever imagine. And I just loved going to see this guy because we would laugh and we would tell stories and we would joke and we would have a great time. But as this went on for several weeks, I, I really started to uh, decide, like, man, this guy is in some serious denial, I mean, that, that's the first step of, 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 of grief, and this guy, he is in denial. I mean, he's just, he's pretending like nothing's happening. So I went back to see him the next time I was there, and again, we're, we're talking, we're laughing, and doing the things that we always did, but then we came to the part in the, in the conversation, and I just said, sir, I just, we need to have a, a real conversation here. I said, do you understand that you're terminal, I mean, I appreciate your, your attitude and how positive you are. And I mean, we have a great time. I enjoy it. But do you understand your terminal? 
And if God doesn't do something, I mean, a miracle, you're dying. You're not going to be here in a few months. You are dying. And I will never forget the, his response to me. He looked right at me and he said, son, we're all terminal. And the day I was born was the day that I started dying. The only difference between me and you is, is I'm probably a little closer to death than what you are, but you are dying. That's what he said to me. And I pondered that for a few minutes and I thought, you know what, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. King's House, every person in this room this morning, you are terminal and you are in the process of dying. Thanks for coming to church this morning. I hope you feel encouraged. God bless you. Have a wonderful day. <laughs> but it's the truth. And we don't like to think about our own mortality, but you are dying. Every person in this room. The other very scary reality is this, is that you only get one life to live. I mean, that's the facts. There is no do-over. There is no reset button. Hinduism is a fake religion. You do not get reincarnated as a butterfly or a puppy. Like, you get one chance. And I believe that if we really believed, I'm dying, and I only have one life to live, I think that we would approach life so drastically different because I believe that we allow fear to rule and dominate so many of our decisions. I believe that we allow the what ifs of life to keep us stationary, to rob us from some of the most beautiful things and experiences that God has in store for us. It's time for us to live like we're dying and, and just refuse to die with regrets. Now, I'm not saying this morning, King says that I don't have any fears in life. Because I have plenty of fears in life. Snakes. I'm deathly afraid of snakes. My son is so fascinated by snakes, he named himself Fast Snake. I hate snakes. The only snake, the only good snake is a dead snake. Do I have a witness this morning? I hate them. They're evil. They're the, from the devil. I mean, they're... Another crippling fear that I have in life is heights. I mean, I am crippling afraid of heights. I'm, I'm, I'm debating during this series... Like, is it time for me to just face my fears? Uh, it's so easy to preach about it, but like, I'm debating, pray with me. I'm thinking about skydiving before this series is over. I'll keep you posted. But let me, I am mortified of heights. So I'm, I'm not a big roller coaster guy, but I don't wanna be that 38 year old dude who's afraid to ride roller coasters either. And that scares me more than roller coasters, okay? So I'm that guy, like I'm miserable the whole time. But my, my daughter, uh, we, we went to Silver Dollar City after Christmas and she's fearless, man. Uh, I, she wants to ride every ride in the park. So again, I'm not gonna be that guy. So I'm terrified, I'm miserable, but I am on every single ride with my daughter, hands up, woo! And it's all fun and games. But later that night, I literally scarred my subconscious mind because all throughout the night I wake up, I'm having nightmares all night. I'm falling off of high things. I wake up in chills and colds. I mean, it is miserable. I'm literally traumatized from it. Like the next morning, Erica wakes up and says, Mark, is there a reason that you were whimpering in the fetal position most of the night? <laughs> I don't wanna talk about it, babe, all right? It's just something I'm walking through, I'm dealing with. But my biggest fear, King's House, and this keeps me awake at night, this motivates me to get up in the morning when I feel like quitting, this fear is a driving force in my life, but far and away my greatest fear is dying with regrets. 
Far and away, it's not, it's not even close. Not doing everything that God called me to do. Not finishing my race that God called, the way God's calling me to finish my, my race. Dying with regrets is a crippling fear of mine, except I don't think this is necessarily a bad fear because it pushes me and it motivates me and it causes me to take steps when I maybe necessarily wouldn't want to take steps. So I just wanna challenge you this morning, King South. What if you lived lives full of faith and free from fear? How differently would your life look? What if the fulfillment that your heart is just so hungry for, those dreams that you long for, what if those things are on the other side of fear? What if you're not waiting on God to do something in your life? What if God is waiting for you to take those necessary steps and to make that move to get to where he needs you to be? In 2 Kings chapter 6, uh, there was this ben named, uh, a king named uh, Ben-Hadad, and he was the king of Aram. And they had laid siege to the city of Samaria. They had surrounded it. Nothing was going into Samaria. Nothing was coming out of Samaria. This caused an extreme famine happening inside of Samaria. The, the famine was so bad inside of Samaria that they were literally eating donkey heads. They were eating pigeon poop. And read it in your Bible. They were eating human babies. Like, it was hard times in Samaria, okay? We can all agree it was, it was hard times. Now, there was four lepers that were sitting by the city gate. These four lepers had a decision to make. This is the conversation that they had with each other in uh, chapter 7, verse 3. Now, there were four men with leprosy sitting at the entrance of the city gates. Why should we sit here waiting to die, they asked each other. We will starve if we stay here with the famine in the city. We will starve if we go back there. So we might as well go out and surrender to the Aramean army. If they let us live, so much the better. But if they kill us, we would have died anyways. These four men feel like they only had three options in this situation that they found themselves in. Option number one, if we go into the city, we're going to die. If we stay here, what we're currently doing, guess what? We're going to die. If we go to the Aramean army, we're probably going to die, but maybe not. So, like, you're telling me there's a chance. <laughs> and sometimes we find ourselves in these very exact places in our lives, not, not physically starving to death, waiting outside a city, but sometimes we have to look at ourselves in the mirror, take a real good hard look, and admit to ourselves, what I'm currently doing isn't working. I've been doing this for so long. I'm getting the same results. I'm just as dissatisfied. I'm just as unfulfilled. What I'm doing isn't working. Those are hard conversations to have with yourself, but they're so necessary sometimes. In those moments, you have to analyze, now did God tell me to stand? Did God tell me to dig my heels in and stand? Because if he did, then baby, you just keep on standing. Because the word says, when you've done all that you can to stand, what you're supposed to do is just keep on standing. But I think sometimes we get that confused. I'm standing on the word of God. I'm standing on, are you really? Or have you become crippled with being comfortable? Have you become crippled with what's familiar? Have you become a slave to the fear of man or the fear of failure? These men decided like, we're gonna die. We don't have a whole lot of choice. Let's at least take a step and see what happens. So that's what they did. Pick it up in the next verse. Verse five. 
So at twilight, they set out for camp of the Arameans. But when they came to the edge of the camp, no one was there. For the Lord had caused the Aramean army to hear the clatter of speeding chariots and the galloping of horses and the sounds of a great army approaching. The king of Israel had hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us, they cried to one another. So they panicked and they ran into the night, abandoning in their tents, horses, donkeys, and everything else as they fled for their lives. These four lepers show up to camp and God had gone before them. He had made a way before them. And not only was there enough food and provision for them, but there was enough food and provision for the entire city. What these four men neglected to realize is that there wasn't just three options. There was, in fact, a fourth option, friends. Aren't you glad when you feel like you've reached the end of yourself, sometimes there's still another way that you're not aware of? Put that fourth option up there for me, would you? Option number four is we're going to take a massive step of faith. And against all odds, God will perform a miracle that will not only save your life, but the lives of everyone in the entire city. Option number four, we're going to take a step of faith. If they had stayed where they were, they would have died. But sometimes you just have to have some faith and the willingness to make a move. And when you do, God can do miracles in your life. Do you believe that this morning, King's House? The question you need to be asking yourselves this morning is, who is waiting for me to take a step? What family is waiting for me to take a step? What city is waiting for me to take a step? I've been sitting here doing the same thing for long enough. Who is waiting for me to take a step? Because friends, we don't have to go very far in this community to see people that are enslaved in guilt and in shame enslaved with addiction and poverty, enslaved in hopelessness, and you have the answer that this world is desperately looking for. Listen, I don't know this morning who exactly is waiting for you to take a step, but what I do know is that somebody is waiting for you to take a step. Somebody is waiting for you to make a move this morning. It's all right to say amen. Hebrews chapter 11 says this. Faith is the things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. That's how Hebrews 11 describes faith. Here's another definition of of faith for us. A strong belief or conviction that something unseen will happen. It's a beautiful definition of faith. Now leave this up there, because I don't know if you've ever pondered this before, King's House. This is a beautiful definition for faith, but it is also the exact definition definition of fear. The exact definition of fear. A strong belief or conviction that something unseen will happen. Fear and faith share the same definition. The only difference is is that faith empowers your life. It enables your life for God to work and move and accomplish more than you could ever think or dream or even imagine. Faith enables and empowers the enemy to rob from you, to steal from you, to keep you isolated and to keep you stationary. Think about this, it takes just as much faith to think, oh man, something bad's about to happen and oh gosh, you go down the list of worst case scenarios and I know this and what about this? It takes just as much faith to, 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 to actively believe that as it does to say, you know, I can't see it yet, but I know that there's a blessing 
on its way. I can't see it yet. It doesn't feel like it right now. It doesn't look like it right now, but I believe that God is right around the corner and he's about to move in my life and he's about to do something beautiful in my life. It takes just as much faith to believe that as it does all the negative junk in our lives. So what if you rid your lives of fear and doubt? What if you filled yourself with faith and instead of thinking about all the worst case scenarios and what's the worst that could happen, what if you started living with this mentality and this ideology of what is the best that could happen? What's the best that could happen? Listen to this, King's House. What if your answer is just one prayer away? What if it is? What if the miracle that you've been looking for is just one step away? God's waiting for some of us to take a step, to make a move, because he wants to do something extraordinary in your life. You need to determine this morning, I am going to completely rid my life of fear. I am going to live in hope and live in faith that God is doing something beautiful in my life. Faith is not a difficult word to spell, but I think many of us misspell it. And I want to show you this morning how I believe the king's house needs from this point on to spell faith. It's a four-letter word. It doesn't start with an F. This is how we should spell faith. Put it on the screen for us. R-I-S-K. Risk. That's how you spell faith. Because there is always an element of risk involved. Faith isn't stupidity. It's not. Faith isn't living in la-la land, thinking that everything's just, just sweet little honeybees and rainbows. And it, it's, it's not. This word promises. In this world, you will have tribulation. In this world, you will have trials and hardships and sufferings. That's what the word says. Take it to the bank. Faith isn't just believing that everything good is going to happen. No, terrible things are going to happen in your life and trials and hardships and difficulty. But faith is realizing that there's a risk involved. But faith, man, it stirs up from way down deep inside of you. And it says, I believe that God is exactly who he says he is. I believe that he can do exactly what he says he can do. I'm choosing to live in faith. I understand the risk, but I'm going to hope the best. I'm going to believe the best. I'm going to embrace the reality that I am dying. I'm terminal. I may not have tomorrow. And I refuse to live with regret in my life. That's what faith looks like, King South. There's a picture that hangs in our conference room where we meet every Monday morning and we pray together and we, we plan together and we strategize for the king's house. I look at this picture almost every single day. It's massive on the wall. Written on it is the Lion Chaser Manifesto. If you've never read the book, you definitely need to read the book. But here's the Lion Chaser Manifesto. I want to read it to you. I want to believe that it's going to get down way down deep and in your heart and in your spirit this morning. Because it says this. Quit living as if the purpose of life is to arrive safely at death. Run to the roar. Set God-sized goals. Pursue God-given passions. Go after a dream that is destined to fail without divine intervention. Come on, somebody. Stop pointing out problems. Become part of the solution. Stop repeating the past. Start creating the future. 
Face your fears, fight for your dreams, grab opportunity by the mane and don't let go. Live like today is the first day and the last day of your life. Burn sinful bridges, blaze new trails, live for the applause of nail-scarred hands. Don't let what's wrong with you keep you from worshiping what's right with God. Dare to fail, dare to be different, quit holding out, quit holding back, quit running away. Chase the lion, man. Woo! Gets me fired up. Need to go smoke a cigarette outside for a second. I'm teasing. I have a medical card, it's all right. Joking. It's medicinal. Uh, in Mark chapter 5, Jesus is on his way to a man named Jairus' house. Jairus approached Jesus and said, man, my daughter is dying. Will you please come? So Jesus agrees. He's on his way to Jairus' house. But on his way to Jairus' house, he has an encounter with this woman. And here we are in verse 24. Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay for them. But she had gotten no better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. She had heard about Jesus. So she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I'll be healed. Now, in order to really understand what's happening here, you, you have to understand the context of the culture. Because this woman was doing all sorts of crazies. She was taking a massive, massive risk to be there that day. Put this slide up for me. Here, here's the risk that this woman was taking. According to the Levitical law, this woman is unclean. Everything she touches, everyone she touches is unclean. She is breaking all sorts of laws and rules to be in the crowd that day. So friend, there is some risk and there is some really bad things that could have come out of that situation. The worst that could happen, man, she's an outcast. She could be looked down on, she could be ridiculed. There could have been legal ramifications for this woman. She was taking a massive risk. But the best thing that could have happened, was she might just have an encounter with Jesus. And one encounter with Jesus can change everything in our lives. I mean, that's the best thing that could happen. So in verse 29, she reached through the crowd, she grabs his robe. Next verse, please. Immediately the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples looked at him and said, Jesus, look, look at the crowd pressing around you. I mean, how, how can you ask who touched me? Jesus, everybody touched you, man. But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. 12 years, friends. 12 years she had suffered. 
12 years she had been looked down upon. 12 years she had been an outcast. In 12 years she had seen every doctor, spent every penny she had. She had done everything that she knew how to do. And this woman was one risk away, one step of faith away, one move away, because one encounter with Jesus radically changed and transformed everything about this woman's life. The question I wanna ask you this morning, church, is what are you waiting for? You're dying. You are terminal. Not one person in this room is guaranteed tomorrow. Not one single person of us. Whatever you're thinking about doing, whatever you're praying about doing, it's time to do it to embrace the fact that I refuse to live with regret. Some of you in this room, man, you God laid on your heart, you need to share the gospel with this person. You need to share Jesus with this person. I don't know what you're waiting on, it's time to do it. Do it, you're dying, you don't know if you're gonna have tomorrow, do it. That person that you've been thinking about inviting to church, guess what? Do it. That job that you've been thinking about applying for, do it. You've been thinking about going back to school, you've been thinking about changing careers, do it, do it. Your marriage is a mess. You're miserable. You know there has to be something better. You've been scared to get help, but now you're ready. Go get help for your marriage. Do it. Stop living like you, you have the rest of your life. You're dying. Do it. whatever God's laid on your heart. That dream that you felt was too big, too impossible. It terrified you. You laid it down. Friends, it is time to pick that dream back up and it is time to do it, to live like you are dying. What's the best that could happen? Who cares if you fail? I said, who cares if you fail? You step out in faith and you fail. Who cares? At least you know. At least you know, at least you don't have to live with regret. At least you know. Who cares what people say? Who cares what people think? Just do it. Get fear out of your life. Fill yourself with faith and take some steps. Make a move this morning, King's House. God has incredible things in store for you. Do it. Do it. 85% of deathbed regrets, think about this, are not things that they did. That's what we think about regrets. Oh man, I messed up here and I had this failure and I should have, oh gosh, I did failures and in your mistakes God has a beautiful way of healing those things of restoring those things he takes what the enemy meant for evil and he uses it for good in your life he takes your mess he turns it into a message he takes your test he turns it into a testimony I mean that's that's what God does in our lives so very few people lay in on their deathbed and say boy I did this and I did this no man, especially believers, God's healed those things. He's used those things. They realize that what the enemy meant for a stumbling stone was actually a stepping block. 85% of deathbed regrets are regrets of omission. Boy, I wish I would have done this. God, should have. Can you imagine if I had 85%? Just do it. with regrets. Live every day like it's your last. Whatever God's called you to do, whatever dream he's placed in your life right now, do it, do it. More than anything else in life, I want my children to serve the Lord. 
It's the most pitiful thought that I could ever have that I could reach hundreds and thousands for the Lord and that my kids wouldn't know him. I'm so intentional. I don't raise my kids in church. I raise my kids in Christ. And that's two very different things. I want you to know I'm the same dude standing on this stage as I'm the same dude standing in my kitchen on Monday morning, okay? Take it, leave it, like it or don't, this is me, okay? And I'm fine with that. I learned a long time ago, if you want everybody to like you, don't be a preacher, be an ice cream salesman. Drive the ice cream truck, everybody loves the ice cream truck guy. Man, I want my children to serve the Lord and my children's children and my children's children. I mean, that's the legacy I wanna leave. But my biggest heart's desire for me personally is I want to leave this earth. When I die, I want to be completely empty. I mean, empty. Statistically, I've lived half of my life. Statistically speaking, I've already lived half my life. When I stand before the Lord, I wanna be able to say, God, I used everything that you gave me. Anything that you gave to my life, I poured it back out on you. And God, even more so, you gave me five talents. I went and made 10. God, you called me to pastor one church. I pastored a network of churches. You asked me to change one city. I changed a state. Like that's what I wanna say when I stand before the Lord. All I wanna hear is well done good and faithful servant. I don't have time to slow down. I don't have time to press pause. For 20 years, people have been saying, Mark, you're going too far, you're going too fast. You need to slow down, you're gonna burn out. No, I'm not. I'm more in love with Jesus today than I was 20 years ago. And there is no signs of slowing down. I'm in a race with time. I'm in a competition with the enemy. He doesn't sleep, he doesn't take breaks. People are going to hell every single day. I'll rest when I get to eternity, friends. Man, I wanna die empty. God, I, I gave and used everything that you gave me. So I'm challenging you today, King's House. Live like you're dying. And let the Spirit put something down deep in your heart Why I just, I refuse to die with regrets. Because God has incredible things for each and every one of you. It's a beautiful story, this woman with the issue of blood. Oh, it's beautiful. But I also think it's, a heartbreaking story in a whole other sense. Well, Mark, how's that a heartbreaking story? I'll tell you. Because the disciples weren't wrong when Jesus said, who touched me? I mean, they're looking around like, you've seen pictures of the streets in Jerusalem. They're tiny. And there's hundreds, probably thousands of people crowded in those streets. So Jesus says, who touched me? Like, Lord, what do you mean? Everybody touched you. I mean, we're packed in here like sardines. Here's the saddest part to the story. Hundreds, maybe thousands of people in the streets that day, bumping into Jesus, rubbing shoulders with Jesus, within arm's reach of Jesus. But we only have record of one miracle. Only one life was eternally changed that day. And for us in this room today and for people sitting in churches all across the globe, here's my biggest fear. And I mean, it, it's a fear and it's very real and it should scare you as well. That our churches are full of people who have bumped into Jesus. Our churches are full of people who have brushed shoulders with Jesus, who have been within arm's reach of Jesus. Maybe even here this morning, you felt some goosebumps. Ooh, yeah, I felt that Jesus. Our churches are full of people 
who hear sermons week after week after week after week and know all about Jesus, but they don't actually know Jesus. And there's a huge, 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 huge difference, King's House. Because I can sleep in the garage every night of my life. I'm never gonna wake up and be a car. I can eat at McDonald's three meals a day, get on their Wi-Fi, work from, I mean, I can, I'm never gonna be a cheeseburger. Probably gonna take some years off of my life eating their three meals a day. So let's not equate coming to church as the same as being a Christian, because they are not the same. You can be close to Jesus, you can bump elbows with Jesus, you can be all around Jesus, you can learn all about Jesus, but if there's one thing we know from this story, bumping shoulders with Jesus isn't enough. Being within proximity of Jesus isn't enough. Until you reach out in desperation, until you reach out in faith, until you take a risk and say, Jesus, I need you, you are the only answer, then and only then is your life eternally changed, friends. Then and only then. There's no magic prayer, there's no formula. It's your heart saying, Jesus, I need you. Would you just bow your heads all across this room this morning? Maybe you've been here for 20 years at the King's house. We're about to celebrate our 20 year anniversary. Maybe this is your first time. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe, maybe all those things are true. But the question I wanna ask you today is, is have you ever really had a life-changing encounter with Jesus? Do you really know him, friend, or you just know about him? Can you tell me about him, or is he speaking to you? Is he moving in your life? If you're here today and say, Mark, I really don't know if Jesus is living in my heart. I'm not trying to cast shade on you, but he's probably not. Because when the creator of the universe comes and takes up residence in your life, friend, you know something happened. You know something is different. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, if you're here this morning, you say, Mark, man, I, I, I wanna say yes to Jesus. I wanna reach out in faith. I, I need Jesus. I wanna make him the Lord and savior of my life. I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna call you out, but I'm just asking you that on the count of three, that you would just lift your hand one, two, three. Right now, lift your hand if you want to say yes to Jesus. I see that hand, and I see that hand. Come on. I see that hand. Lift those hands up, man. Live without regrets. This is the most important decision you will ever make in your life. You're not guaranteed tomorrow. If you want to say yes to Jesus, lift your hands. I see that hand. One, two, three, four, five hands going up all around this room, King's house. Would you just take the hand of the person next to you if you would? And all of us together, man, just in unity, standing in faith with that person. Again, there's no magic prayer. It's your heart crying out saying, Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my savior. Repeat after me, King's house, Lord Jesus, I need you. I need you to be my savior. Come into my heart. Forgive me of all my sins. Wash them away, Lord. I believe you're the son of God. I believe you died on a cross. I believe you rose from the dead. And I believe you are the only way to heaven. From this day forward, my life belongs to you. In Jesus' name, everybody said. Hey, can we give God some praise this morning, King's House? Man, God is so good. He's so good. <clears throat> Lee, we put that slide on the screen for me, that blue slide. 
Listen, if you said yes to Jesus this morning, would you just text, I said yes to the number 97000. I said yes, all one word. Listen, I just wanna reach out to you, congratulate you, pray with you, make sure that you're getting started on the, in, in this incredible journey off on the right foot, amen. I love you, King's House. Thank you for being here bright and early this morning. Home groups this Wednesday night. God bless you, have an amazing week. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are in need of prayer or wish to speak to one of our pastors, please email us at info at thekingshouse.church. And if you would like to give towards the ministry of the King's House, you can do so by visiting our website, thekingshouse.church forward slash giving, or by texting any dollar amount to the number 84321 and respond to the prompts sent back to you. If you're ever around the area and you want to visit us, we meet every week at 124 B. Hubert Smith Drive in McAllister, Oklahoma. You can even plan your visit with us ahead of time where you can reserve your seats, your parking spot, and even pre-check in your kids before you arrive on the Sunday of your choosing. Just fill out the quick form at thekingshouse.church forward slash plan your visit. Hey, we know life is busy, so be sure to click that subscribe button so you can catch all of our latest messages. We look forward to seeing you real soon.